Welcome back to the Servants of Grace podcast. My name is Dave and I'm the host for this podcast. And today we continue our study through the doctrine of scripture, talking today about the importance of hermeneutics for the Christian life. Is the Bible true? Does it ever err? And does its morality still matter? Many Christians ask these questions in a sincere effort to grow in their faith, but others armed with common claims of biblical contradictions, scientific inaccuracies, and outdated sexual morality do so out of sheer unbelief. Despite these questions being sufficiently answered on numerous occasions, still they persist. Researchers George Gallup and Jim Castelli put their problem squarely. Americans revere the Bible, but by and large, they don't read it. And because they don't read it, they have become a nation of biblical illiterates. How bad is the problem? Well, research tells us that it's worse than most could ever imagine. Fewer than half of adults can name the four Gospels. Many Christians cannot identify more than two or three of the disciples. According to data from Barna Research Group, 60% of Americans can't even name five of the Ten Commandments. So Barna says this, No wonder people break the Ten Commandments all the time. They don't even know what they are, he says. George Barna says, as president of the firm. The bottom line, America is biblically illiterate. How bad is the problem? Well, a recent study conducted by Lifeway Research and sponsored by Ligonier Ministries produced a study called The State of Theology. They update it about once a year. This report tells us a lot about contemporary evangelicals and their beliefs. On one part of this study, they asked respondents to agree or disagree to the statement. The Bible alone is the written word of God. 30% strongly agreed. 18% agreed somewhat. 19% disagree somewhat. 19% disagree strongly, and 12% aren't sure. Self-identified evangelicals who attend church once a month or more, 79%, are more likely to strongly agree than other Christians, 27%, and non-Christians, 11%. Evangelicals, 62%, are more likely to strongly agree than African-American Protestants at 46%, Catholics at 17%, and mainline evangelicals at 22%. Well, the next part of this study considered the following statement. The Bible is 100% accurate in all it teaches. Well, 27% agreed with this statement. 16% agreed somewhat. 21% disagreed somewhat. 25% disagreed strongly. And 12% are sure. Self-identified evangelicals who attend church once a month or more, 78% are more likely to strongly agree than other Christians at 23% and non-Christians at 9%. Evangelicals, 61% are more likely to strongly agree than African-American Protestants at 43%, Catholics at 12%, and mainlines at 17%. Well, the need for Christians then to understand the art and the skill of biblical interpretation has never been greater than in the history of the church. We are living in a time defined by the Oxford Dictionary as an era of post-truth, where everyone who claims my truth and I will stand in it. Well, such claims, though, don't pass the smell test. For the truth to stand, it must be based not upon what we feel, which is fickle, but on objective truth in the Word of God. In a post-truth era, Christians can stand firm, not on my truth truth and I'll stand on it, but on the objective standard and authority of the word of God. As Christians, we believe this truth wholeheartedly and are called to mine its depths to proclaim its riches to the world. So to interpret the Bible rightly, we must believe right things as we've talked about about the scriptures, namely that it is the inspired, inerrant, sufficient, clear, and authoritative word. And for this to happen, God must take our heart of stone and replace it with a new heart 
with new desires and affections for himself. In this process, he gives us the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, who points us people to the truth about Jesus, convicts them of that truth, and helps them to love and walk in the truth. Luke 24, 27 says this, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The word interpreted in Luke 24, 27 comes from the Greek word translated as Duramio, which means to unfold the meaning of what is said, explain it, expound it, or translate it into one's native tongue. Dr. Howard Marshall is correct when he notes that the root idea of explained is the word from which we derive the word hermeneutics, the science of biblical interpretation. The Gospel of Luke finds its unity in the person and work of Jesus Christ and his mission to seek and to save the lost. From the first announcement of his coming to his ascension into heaven, Jesus is at the center of everything. The songs are for his praise. The miracles are by his power. The teaching is from his wisdom. The conflict is over his claims. The cross is that which only he could bear. Luke gives his account further literary unity by intertwining the stories of Jesus and John the Baptist by beginning and ending his story at the temple, by presenting the life of Jesus as a journey towards Jerusalem, and by following the progress of the disciples as they learned to count the cost of discipleship. The unity of the Gospel of Luke is expressed in Jesus' pronouncement to Zacchaeus. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost, Luke 19.10 says. The immediate context of Luke 24, 13-35 fits within the broader context of Luke 24, which is about the resurrection of Jesus. Luke's gospel began in the temple, Luke 1, 5-23. And after Jesus rose from the dead, it concludes in the temple as well, Luke 24, 52-53 says. Luke has Jesus appearing to his disciples and then gives the ascension of Jesus. With the phrase, beginning with Moses and the prophets, Jesus is highlighting the entire Old Testament, summarized as all scripture. Jesus explained to the man on the road to Emmaus not only explicit prophecies about the Messiah, but also the historical patterns of God's activity throughout the Old Testament and how they find their fulfillment in himself. And the wisdom of divine providence, the substance of Christ's exposition of the Old Testament messianic prophecies was not recorded, but the gift of what he expounded would have undoubtedly included an explanation of the Old Testament sacrificial system which was full of types and symbols that spoke of his suffering and death. He also would have pointed to them to the major prophetic passages which spoke of the crucifixion. This is a Psalm 16, 9-11 and 22, Isaiah 52, 14-53, 12, and Zechariah 12, 10. He would have pointed out the true meaning of Genesis 3:15, Numbers 21, 6-9, Psalm 16, 10, Jeremiah 23, 5-6, and Daniel 9, 26, and a host of other key messianic passages, particularly those that spoke of his death and resurrection. The Lord interpreted all of the scriptures as pointing to himself, showing how the Old Testament in various ways pointed himself. J.C. Ryle is correct. The key to understanding the Bible is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the seed of the woman who was bruised on the cross before crushing Satan's head. He is a lamb who offered his blood for our sins and was lifted up for our salvation. He is the covenant maker who is cursed for our covenant breaking and who has, sprinkled, who has sprinkled his redeeming blood on the altar of the cross. You see, if we turn to Isaiah, the scriptures say that the Savior will be wounded for our iniquities and pierced for our transgressions. If we turn to Jeremiah, the scriptures say that he will be mocked and abused. If we turn to Zechariah, the scriptures say he will make atonement for the whole land in a single day. These prophecies also find their fulfillment in the suffering and death of Jesus Christ, who was wounded, pierced, and abused, and offering himself as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. All of this was only the beginning. Jesus continued his Bible 
exposition by using all the principles of his Christ-centered, gospel-driven interpretation to explain all that was said in all the scriptures concerning himself, Luke 24, 27. See, Jesus is not here or there in this prediction of prophecy. He is everywhere in the Old Testament. He is the Ark of the Covenant and the blood of the mercy seat. He is the light on the golden lampstand and the bread of life. He is the prophet who preaches like Moses, the priest who prays like Aaron, and the king of David's heart. So how do we learn from Jesus' preaching ministry? Well, the basis for biblical interpretation, it begins with none other than Jesus Christ. Jesus' preaching was biblical. It was based on the law and the prophets. His preaching was thorough. He wanted his friends to know everything the prophets had spoken. His preaching was Christ-centered, for he was preaching about himself. His preaching was also gospel-centered, including both the crucifixion and the resurrection. Jesus proclaimed the agonies of the cross and the glories of the empty tomb. His preaching was persuasive. He argued for the absolute necessity of doing his saving work the way that he did. It was necessary for Christ to suffer and then to be glorified. Well, just wrapping this up, if we follow the model of Jesus on the road to Emmaus to his friends, our preaching will honor God, see the lost saved, the saints strengthened, and the kingdom advanced. May God raise up such preachers who are unafraid and unashamed to preach his word and interpret all of scripture in light of his glory in light of who he is for his glory. I want to thank you for listening to this episode of the Servants of Grace podcast. If you enjoy this episode, I want to encourage you to tell your friends about it and to share it with your share it with your friends and followers on social media. Until next time, may the Lord richly bless you and keep you.